0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God, I pray that as we look to today's message, God, that you would just guide and direct our hearts toward you, that you would knit our hearts together in love. God, that you would help me as I proclaim your word, help me to say the things that come from you, that if there are any words that I've written down or prepared that are not from you, that You would take them from me, that You would replace them with words from You or stop my mouth. God, I thank You again for Your grace, Your mercy. I pray that as we uh, worship this morning, we would worship You in spirit and in truth. I pray the same for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. God, that You would be glorified. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 through 5. And just a bit of review in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul has been kind of laying the foundation of the gospel. He's writing this letter to this church in Corinth that he started. That He went to Corinth and he uh, served as a pastor there for 18 months, a year and a half. And the church in Corinth was, was born and now he's writing to them as they're continuing to have some struggles, they're struggling in their faith, they're struggling to grow, and they're a church that has every opportunity, they have every gift that God gives to His church, they've been blessed with the opportunity to grow, but there's some problems. And Before ever really getting into the problems, God first uses Paul to speak the truth of the gospel, to remind them of the gospel message. And then moving forward, as we kind of work through the book of Corinthians, you'll see that again and again, Paul points back to the gospel as the foundation by which we deal with some of these issues in the church. Now, I purposely didn't pick a Christmas message. I purposefully said we're going to plod on through and continue through 1 Corinthians. And I think it's appropriate that we come to this passage today talking about the way Paul came to the church in Corinth and what He brought to them when He spoke to them. He says, I came to you in this way, and here's the way I came, here's the message that I brought, here's the manner that I brought it, and here's my motive. So He says to them, He says, this is what I did when I came to you. I think it's important that we look at this as we consider this the the last Sunday before Christmas, because Christmas is all about the Gospel. That you can't think about Christmas without thinking about Easter, And you can't think about Easter without thinking about Christmas, that the two are bound together in the message of the gospel, that really the two are bookends, so to speak, of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and look forward to the coming back, the return of his son, Jesus. So I pray that your heart is encouraged as you reflect on what Christmas is all about this season as we look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 1-5. through If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my message, and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So the first point... In your sermon outline, jumping right in, the first point is the message. Number one, the message. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, he's reminding them of when he first came to Corinth, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul reminds the Corinthian believers of the message that he came to them that He came proclaiming to them. He came preaching a message that, as we already saw a couple of weeks ago, was by the world standards foolishness. It was moronic, if you remember. But it was also, in it was power. So coming with clever words might have made Him look powerful, but it would have only detracted from the Gospel. And this should immediately bring to mind what we just read in 1 Corinthians one seventeen, when Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. See, Paul understood that the focus of his ministry must be on the good news of Jesus Christ. And this, I believe, is severely lacking in much of evangelical Christianity today. It seems that many evangelical churches have become so preoccupied with methods that they've forgotten the importance of the message. I think I've shared this before, but a number of years ago while serving in another church, I had a nearby church call me and they asked me, and they said, we want to ask you a a question. We want to ask, what, what music or what programs or what other changes have you initiated to grow the church? They said, you know, I'm not saying that you did all these things, but, but what, what happened? What did the church do? What music did they add? What programs did they add? What changes did you make to grow this church the way it has grown? They went on to ask what we were doing to get so many young families to come to church. They said, what are you, what are you doing? Because our church and our church, is all, it's all of us old people, right? The church is slowly dying, I remember talking to a friend of mine and he said, I was at a church and I was a member there for a long time and he said, the only time the attendance changed was when somebody went on to glory. That, that the membership role changed but it only changed when somebody passed on. And this church was experiencing that and they, so they called and they said, what are you doing? What are you doing to get the young people there? And the funny thing is that their question presupposed an answer. They were actually asking a question but they were presupposing The answer, they wanted to know what methods they could adopt to bring some vitality into their ministry. And my response was simple. I said, well, I hope, and say this is what we're doing, but I said, well, I hope that the church has seen growth not because of methods or marketing strategies, but instead because we've been faithful to the gospel. And that was my hope, that I know we have done some things to change, I know things have changed, but I hope that any growth that we have ever experienced is because of the gospel and not because of those things. See, otherwise, I said, we've been a failure and not anything you should emulate. So I said, my advice to you is boldly proclaim the gospel, for in it is power. And I, there was silence on the other end of the phone, I wasn't sure if I, they were still there, right? Because they're like, yeah, but, but what did you do? And that's sad. See, clever words and showmanship, they should be left to entertainers and politicians. The job of the Christian is to share the gospel. And that's what Paul did in Corinth. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about what the gospel is. To talk about the message of the gospel and then not say what the gospel is, just assuming that you all know. That would be wrong. So I want to share with you what I mean when I say the gospel. What I mean is this, and this is hard sometimes, to take the gospel, the message of God, which really is this entire book, and to boil it down into a few sentences. But I want to seek to do that. See that God created all things, including us. That He gave us life, He breathed into us, and yet we fail to honor Him as God that we have failed to honor Him in the past, and we fail to honor Him now, and we will continue to fail to honor Him as God. That instead of me looking to the God of the universe and say, you have created me, you are the creator, I am the creature, instead, I look to myself as God. And that's what we all do. We fail to honor Him as God. And that is called sin. That it's missing the mark of what He has called us to do, And the wages of that sin is death. That just as I go to work and I earn a wage, that the wage of my sin, that which I have earned, is death. You see, God has called us to live lives that honor Him and bring Him glory. And the problem is that some of us may come closer. I've said this before, that it's like trying to throw a rock at the moon. That God's standard is perfection. And we can try to throw a rock at the moon, and I may get closer to Mark, closer to the moon than Mark, right? But both of us are going to miss that goal of hitting the moon with a rock. And in the same way, both of us will fail to live up to God's perfect standard of holiness. And the punishment for that is sin. But God, God in His grace, has been calling a people to Himself since the beginning. And ultimately, He sent His Son as a substitutionary sacrifice, an atonement for our sin. That Christ came, He lived without sin, He died in our place. Scripture says He was crushed for our iniquities, He was pierced for our transgressions, and that He rose from the dead, defeating death and sin, proving that He was God. And then our response is to believe. Believe on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Believe in Him, not just as our Savior, but also as our Lord, repenting of our sin, looking to live for Him and for His glory, knowing that we will continue to fail. It goes back to where we started. But by His grace, He's covered our sin. He paid the penalty. He died in our place so that we don't have to. That's the message of the Gospel. And if there's any message that Christmas is all about, that's what it's about. And we need to proclaim that message this Christmas season. So when Paul says, I came to you proclaiming the testimony of God. When I came to you, this is what I told you. I could have told you any number of things, but here's what I told you, Corinth. You know, sometimes I think we think we have it tough in America. We live in a culture that increasingly values human wisdom and rejects godly wisdom. Our culture promotes sex outside of marriage. Our culture undermines the importance of marriage altogether and teaches that divorce is okay. Our culture says it's okay to have an abortion. You have an unwanted pregnancy, you have an abortion. You abort the baby. Our culture teaches that we evolved from apes or fish or whatever the current uh, popular theory is right now, right? Right? And it's very easy, living in that kind of culture, to get caught up in arguing these things, to make our message all about, no, it's not about evolution, it's about creation. To make our message all about, no, it's not about um, uh, that God created us to love anyone and everyone as we see fit, but that God created marriage to be the union between a man and a woman. And those things are true, and we can argue those things, but we take it as our primary message. We get caught up arguing these things when Scripture tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. And the city of Corinth, the city of Corinth was every bit as pagan as we are. So Paul comes to the city in Corinth, this pagan city, and what does he say? What does he say? He doesn't say, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. He says, I'm going to proclaim to you the Gospel. So we went, not with clever arguments, but proclaiming a message that they saw as foolish. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Paul didn't value the idea of supplying a good logical defense for the faith. I mean, all you have to do is read through the book of Romans, right? I talked about the possibility with Bill about maybe preaching through the book of Romans. I decided I probably shouldn't do that Because if it's going to take me two years to get through 1 Corinthians, it's probably going to take me 28 to get through the book of Romans. That might be underestimating it, right? Because the book of Romans, Paul, he uses logic. He doesn't shy away from logic. But that being said, what Paul is stressing here is that he was not focused on meeting people's felt needs. Instead, he was focused on meeting their real need, their need for a Savior that all those other things can be argued, but first they needed to know the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They needed to know what God had done for them through Jesus. So while Greeks were searching for wisdom and Jews were looking for miracles, Paul knew there's power in the Gospel. So if I'm going to bring anything, that better be what I bring. So he didn't come to Corinth appealing to their desire for wisdom. See, his goal wasn't to just win them over intellectually. For he knew that would not produce genuine disciples. I was talking with a brother during the coffee fellowship time and he said he met with a Jehovah's Witness one time and he proceeded to just pummel him intellectually. Just pummel him to the ground and left feeling kind of proud and then within a short period of time thought, I better never do that again, right? You can win people over intellectually, but it doesn't produce genuine disciples. See, I would argue seminaries around the world are full of men and women who understand the message of Christianity intellectually. But they're spiritually lost. Seminaries that are spiritually lost. In fact, in fact studies show that the more education a pastor has, the less likely he is to have a biblical worldview that the more you go to school, the more they teach you that the Bible is not true. Now granted, that's throwing all the real super liberal seminaries in there into the mix as well. Which, by the way, most of them are. That's why they're called cemeteries, right? Because that's what they produce, is death. Not all of them, but many of them. Praise God for... Men like Al Mohler, who have reformed um, many, uh, much of uh, Christianity's uh, base for seminary, who is who is a Southern Baptist, who has said we need to change what the Southern Baptist Convention, what our seminaries are teaching, right? Because they started down that slope. We ourselves started down that slope, that slippery slope of liberalism and abandoning the Word of God. So while they're intellectually, they understand the message of the cross and Christ, they're spiritually lost, and ultimately, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. So what Paul is saying here is that his focus was on the message of the cross. That's why he says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. His point is that, you know, every time I got up, I talked about nothing else. I never said anything else. I just said, Jesus, Him crucified. Amen. You you can go, right? Because he has a whole letter where he talks about a whole lot of other things. But he says, I determined to know nothing among you, the basis of which everything I talked about was the Gospel. It was about Jesus and Him dying on the cross. As R.C. Sproul said, he said this, Paul was a man who had an equivalent of two PhDs in theology by the time he was 21 years of age. A man who wrote with great insight on the whole scope of theology. Nevertheless, he said the focal point of his teaching, preaching, and ministry among the Corinthians was simple. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, Paul had witnessed the power of God in people's lives. Therefore, he trusted the gospel far more than he trusted in his own ability to craft words or programs that would draw people to the Savior. That's why he says in 2 Peter 1.16, he says, "...for we do not follow cleverly devised tales." when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Paul saw the power of the Gospel in people's lives. And when you have a taste for that power, when you've seen that power, what God can do in people's lives, why would you ever abandon the central message of the Gospel? So meanwhile, the believers in Corinth, they're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. And so on. And Peter says, or Paul says, wait a minute. I came to you not with the goal of making a name for myself, but instead to make a name for Jesus. And that's my prayer that when I stand up here every Sunday, that I make a name for Jesus. Warren Wearsby tells the following story. He said, A certain church had a beautiful stained glass window just behind the pulpit, and it depicted Jesus on the cross. One Sunday, there was a guest minister who was much smaller, shorter than the regular pastor. A little girl listened to the guest for a time, and then she turned to her mother and asked, where is the man who usually stands there so we can't see Jesus? See, that should be every pastor's nightmare, that we stand here so that you can't see Jesus. So the question is, is it wrong to speak well? Is it wrong to have good quality music? Is it wrong to make it look like you actually care and put some effort into the service? No, those are good things, right? The problem is when that which is good becomes that which is ultimate. When the church wants to be known as the church with a, with a dynamic speaker or the church with the cool worship leader. Who plays his guitar and wears his graphic t shirt with his tattoos? When they have those things because they think that's what's going to grow a church ministry. When churches do those things, because they, they go, Well, the church down the street, you know, they got rid of that podium, and the pastor, he preaches from a music stand. So maybe we should preach from a music stand. I don't care. I just want something to put my Bible on. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Or when they say, well, the church down the street, they've got PowerPoint. PowerPoint's a great tool, but I don't care. And I don't mean to be the pastor who's always saying, you guys are like, you're the pastor, you're the pastor. I don't mean to be the guy who's always saying, I don't care, just let me preach. But I mean that. I don't care. Just let me preach. And when you say you can't preach the gospel, I'll say, okay, see you later. I'm gone, right? Because at the end of the day, I know that the gospel is the power of God. You see the problem becomes when churches want to be they want people to see them and not Jesus. That's why Paul said in Galatians 6:14 may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You hear that? The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I love the way the NLT puts it. It says, "As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. It's done. It's dead. And the world's interest in me has also died. That I have no interest in the world, and the world looks at me and has no interest in me. See, it's not about appealing to the world's desires, it's about the message. So, having seen number one, the message, the message, the central message of Christ and Him crucified, the work that Christ did on the cross, now let's consider the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is the manner. Having seen the message, now let's look at the manner. Look at verses three through four with me. It says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, the message that Paul brought was powerful, but the manner in which he did so seemed to be anything but. I remember hearing Alistair Begg preach on this passage and asking his hearers to imagine this being a modern day evangelist. We talked about this at a small group a couple of nights ago, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about if we were to take this analogy and bring it home to harmony, here's what it would look like, right? Imagine there's a guest speaker that we wanted to bring in for some big event. So he's some well-known evangelist for the lobster festival. So he flies into the airport and we send Bill to go pick him up. He flies into Al's head and Bill drives over and he picks him up. And of course when he gets home... Sue is excited, right? She says, so, so what is he like? And Bill says, well, he's really not that impressive of a man. I mean, frankly, Sue, he seemed kind of weak and frail. Right? She says, I, I showed up at the airport and I expected this impressive man whose presence would just fill the room. But instead, he's kind of slumped over in the corner there, sitting in the chair. And besides that, He shakes an awful lot, right? And he seemed kind of fearful of even me. So Sue says, well, he must surely have a way with words. I mean, he may not look impressive, but he must surely have a way with it. He must be very persuasive. And Bill says, not really, Sue. You know, I think we might be in big trouble, right? Because he's a believer, and he knows the Gospel and all, but... He's certainly not what we expected. When you talk about bringing in big speakers, certainly not what we paid for, right? And that describes Paul showing up in Corinth. He says, I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching, they weren't done in persuasive words. I mean, that's quite a resume for an evangelist. I mean, imagine somebody sends that to the church and says, hey, you know, I would love to be your pastor, but I've got to tell you, I'm weak, I'm fearful, I tremble a lot, and I'm not very convincing when I preach the message. I think the pulpit committee would be like, next, right? That's the Apostle Paul. That's his list of qualifications. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul says again and again that he was seen as weak. And unimpressive. 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, he says, For they say, this, they're saying this about Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive. And his speech is contemptible. When you think about Paul, it certainly didn't deter him. For in 2 Corinthians 12.9, he says, But he, God, has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I am strong. Paul understood that if he was going to be strong, if he was going to be the one who would stand up and be strong, that Christ wouldn't be made much of. That instead, he needed to let Christ's strength come through him. He needed to be weak so that Christ could be seen as strong. So having seen, first of all, the message, the Gospel, Christ and Him crucified, that that was a central message that He brought. And the manner that He brought it, not in human strength, but frankly in weakness, fear, trembling, in an unimpressive way, now let's consider the motive. Number three, the third point in your outline is the motive. What was Paul's motive? Why did he bring this message and why did he bring it in this way? Look at verse 5. Paul says this. He says, So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul says, I came to you with this message, the gospel, and in this manner, not in human strength, so that you would know the power of God and not... The power of Paul. He says, if I had to come to you with some other message, if I had reasoned with you and argued with you and pummeled you, then you would have known the power of Paul and not the power of God. But that's not at all what Paul wanted. John MacArthur tells of a time he was talking to a pastor after a Sunday morning service, and the pastor said, See that man over there? He's one of my converts. And then he then explained to Pastor McCarthy, to John MacArthur, he said, Not the Lord's, but mine. Apparently, this man had become a disciple of the pastor, but not a disciple of Christ. That it's very possible for someone who is able to speak, who is able to use persuasive words to draw men to himself. That's why we see cults. Right? That's why we see men who can convince hundreds or thousands of people to do crazy things that run contrary to Scripture. It's easy to become the disciple of a man without becoming the disciple of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul was seeking to avoid. He's saying, how can you say, I am of Paul. Do you remember the way I came to you? Remember, it wasn't as though Paul didn't have any strength. It was instead that he understood that relying on his own strength would produce disciples for himself. That's why in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.30, Paul says, For if I, I, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Right? And 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. I came to you not with these words, but in power. Because God's power is perfected in weakness. That's what it means. That God's power is perfected in weakness. It means that the gospel is lifted up, not the man proclaiming the gospel. Right? The gospel is what's lifted up. So as we pull this together, I want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said this, Leave Christ out of the preaching, and you shall do nothing. Only advertise it all over London, Mr. Baker, that you are making bread without flour. Put it in every paper. Bread without flour. And you may soon shut up your shop. For your customers will hurry off to other tradesmen. A sermon without Christ, as its beginning, middle, and end, is a mistake in conception and a crime in execution. However grand the language it will be merely much ado about nothing if Christ not be there. And I mean by Christ not merely His example and the ethical precepts of His teaching, but His atoning blood, His wondrous satisfaction made for human sin, and the grand doctrine of believe and live. Leave Christ out of preaching, and you shall do nothing. I'm sad to say that I've seen it. I've experienced it. Been to churches. Where you think, that seemed like a pretty decent message. Christ's principles were there. But where was Christ? Where was the Gospel in any of that? And at the end of the day, the the power had been stripped From the message where it's empty. So let's review. First, we saw the message. The message that Paul brought was Christ and Him crucified. Then we saw the manner that He came in weakness, fear, trembling. Rather unimpressive sort He was, right? And the motive motive was that His hearers would know the power of God. The motive was, I'm going to come to you. This is the message I'm going to bring. This is the manner I'm going to bring it because I want you to know the power of God. So the question becomes, how do we apply all of this, individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take this message of what Christ did or what Paul did to the believers in Corinth and how do we take that message and apply it to our lives? Well, if you are here today and you are an unbeliever, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ then I want you to hear the message. The message of what God did for you through Jesus Christ. I want you to hear it. The message of Christ and Him crucified. And I want you to heed it. I beg of you, heed the message. Believe and live as Spurgeon said. Not because I deliver it eloquently, but because even in fear and trembling, I know I must proclaim it. I know that I must I have no other choice but to proclaim this message for if I don't speak it, I assure you the rocks will cry out. Heed the message so that you too may know the power of God. Now for the rest of us, for the, those who are believers here, and I can't help but think that many of you probably are. That's why you're here on Sunday morning. gathered with the saints. I don't know your heart, but I know this. If you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you're not sure that you are a believer, that your eternity is bound in heaven because of His work on the cross, then I encourage you, come speak to me. Come speak to Bill. Right? We would love to talk with you more about that and how you can know for sure. Not because of yourself, but because of Christ. But if you are a believer, if you are a believer, then my challenge to you is this. Remember how Paul came to Corinth. Remember how he came to this dark and ungodly place. A place desperate to know the things of God. A place not unlike the world in which we live. And how did he come? Well, remember how he came. Number one, I want you to remember the message. Remember the message. Christ and Him crucified. That was the message. So as you step out those doors this afternoon and you step into this world, that's what I want you to remember is Christ and Him crucified. That's your message. And may we never detract from the Gospel. May we not get confused about what our primary message is. We get confused all the time. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was praying over the message and I was up early and I thought, I'm going to preach to... 50 people today, or whatever the number is, right? And most of you have an audience far big, bigger than that with the people you work with, with your families, let alone Facebook, right? And I see what we post on Facebook. And we detract from the message. If I, if I said, what is the central message you should be proclaiming, we would all agree it's the gospel. And then we leave here and we proclaim every other message possible. We get confused. Our primary message is not welfare reform. Our primary message is not health care reform. It's not gun legislation. Now I'm not saying we can't speak to these issues, right? What I'm saying is that our primary message is Christ and Him crucified. And any addressing of these issues must be rooted in the Gospel. We must remember first what Christ has done for us and let any message that we... Proclaim, be rooted, grounded in that first. That's what Paul did in this letter. He didn't say, hey, we got this issue with head coverings, need to jump right into it and deal with it, right? He said, let's back up. Let's talk about the Gospel. Let's make sure that this talk about head coverings, let's make sure this talk about division in the church, let's make sure this talk about tongues is rooted in the Gospel of Christ. So number one, remember the message. Remember the message number two, remember the manner, right? Paul says, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. I know most of you are probably not evangelists. That you, don't, you feel like, you know, I have a hard time sharing my faith. It's so hard. You, my family, they're hostile, the people at work, and it's just so hard. Well, good news. In some way, your resume looks like Paul's, Right? that you come in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Please know it's the same for all of us. There's been many a times when I've been given the opportunity to, to, to share my faith and my knees are just knocking together. Right? I know what to say. I mean, that's... I went to school to study one book. Right? I mean... Most people don't have that privilege of, like, they go to school, they, they get a degree in one book. Like, if you're a civil engineer, you need to know a lot of things. All I needed to know was this, right? And I still don't know it well, not as well as I should. So, but I know what to say, but still the fear it just grips you sometimes. But know that when Paul came, he came in the same way as you, in weakness, and in fear, and with trembling. But he came, and He proclaimed. And that's what we're to do. Remember the message. Remember the manner. And then remember the motive. The motive is what drives me out of my seat to share the gospel. What drives me to get up here on Sunday morning is not my love to get up early on Sunday morning, right? It's not my love to stand up here and talk. The motive must be, and please understand, my motive is never completely pure. Our motives are never pure. They're always tainted by sin, by the way. But nonetheless, my motive must be that the world may know the power of God. That's what Paul said. So that they may know. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So remember the message. Christ in Him crucified. Remember the manner. In weakness and in fear and trembling, relying on the power of the Spirit so that the world may know and experience the power of God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your grace. Thank You for an opportunity to remember the centrality of the cross. God, may we never celebrate Christmas, remembering the birth of a baby in a manger without remembering the death of our Lord on a cross. God, may we live in such a way that we are seeking to bring You glory. God, as we go into this world, I pray that You would be with us, that You'd give us the grace that we need the strength that we need to remember the message, the central message of Christ, your Son, and Him crucified for our sins. That we would remember the manner that just as Paul came in weakness and in fear and trembling, that we too may come in the same way, but you provide the strength to proclaim the message so that you may be glorified. The motive, so that you may be glorified, and that people may see Your power evident in us. God, we claim Your promise that You will build Your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, help us to storm the gates. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.